encouraged and then be an encourager. And I'm going to give you three reasons you can always, 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 always be encouraged. The things I'm going to tell you are truth. They never change. They're always true. They're always in place. They're unshakable. They're unmovable. They're facts that never change. They cannot change because they're in the nature and the behavior of God, and he doesn't change. So your opinions about stuff can change, but the facts can never change. And so I'm going to give you three simple truths today that help you know um, you can be encouraged even in the worst of times, even in the hardest of times you can be encouraged. The first one is this. God is enthroned in heaven. And I like to say it this way. He is large and in charge. He is large and in charge. We used to have teachers. We said that about when I was in high school. I was in military school. Some of the teachers were kind of normal teachers. There were other teachers who just took absolute authoritative charge of anything they were doing. And, I mean, they put it to us. And we would say, that teacher is large and in charge. Don't mess with him. Don't, don't fool around. And so I just want you to hear the truth. Remind you, as followers of Christ, as those who would call uh, Christ your Savior and God your Father, your Heavenly Father is completely enthroned in heaven, and he's large and in charge. And on his right hand is seated Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Psalm chapter 2, we taught this uh, a couple years back, taught through Psalms 2. And I just want to highlight a couple of things with you. In Psalm chapter 2, if you mark in your Bibles, this is a great passage to just mark up like crazy. Back when I taught it, there's, in Psalm 2, there's four voices that are speaking. And uh, the first one is the people, the nations are speaking. And then God the Father speaks, and then Jesus speaks, and then the Holy Spirit is voiced in there at the end. So, But in, in the beginning of it, it starts this way. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Kendall, when he talked through uh, Revelation, and he's, we're working on getting another Revelation class going, for those of you that have heard so much good about that. Uh, we're hoping to do that maybe in the fall. Um, but Ken, Kendall, when he talked through that book of Revelation, he said Psalm 2, the chapter of Psalms, chapter 2 is a summary of the whole book of Revelation. It just summarizes the whole book up perfectly. So here's how it starts, though. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed one. These are people counseling against God, saying, let's burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And what does God do when that happens? What does Jesus do when that happens? Well, here's what he does. He who sits in the heavens laughs laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. So when nations, literally powerful, powerful nations, rage against God, rage against Him, war cries and hatred and venom and anger and all this emotional and human energy poured out against God, when that happens, God literally just used the illustration before, but it's it's literally like when a child, a little tiny, you know, two or three year old, I'll use Salem as a true example. She goes off on she's awesome. But she can get she can get a little attitude on her. I don't know if you know this or not. She can get a little attitude every once in a while. So she can get a little she can get a little edge to her. And when she does, you know, her and all of her little curls and her little sweet face, she puts her foot down. Like like 
like it threatens her parents or me when she's in my office and she's doing something I'm supposed to do. No. You know, and you just want to chuckle you want to I can actually pick you up and carry you wherever you can go. Yeah, you don't get to do what you want to do. I sort of outweigh, outthink, and outunderstand life with you by miles, right? So, no, can't do that. But you know, at some point, you just, when, you, when God says, when the nations rage, multiple nations rage against him from his throne in heaven, it's like when you look down at your one and two or three year old. Not even threatened by that. Not, it doesn't even, matter of fact, it's almost, and, and it is, isn't it? It's almost humorous. It's almost humorous. You know, I remember the little boy that got in trouble upstairs one night when Andy was doing Pioneer Club, and Andy sat down in my office, and he was all bowed up. He was about this high. He was all bowed up like he was going to be something big I'm in trouble with. He thought it was principal, you know, he thought it was school. So he, he's in trouble with the principal, so he's going to go in the principal's office and bow up. And I just looked down and said, why do you have your chest poked out, little man? Boy named Daniel. Why do you have your chest broke out? What are you doing? You know, I'm not intimidated at all. At all. By what however you walk in, whatever swagger you think you got, you know. I don't know if you know this, but I can put you in a car and take you home. <laughs> That's the end of that. But it's interesting because when he when he did that, in my head and probably on my face, I went, <clears throat> That's how God sees nations. Our God is completely, completely in charge. Um, later in Psalm 2, uh, there's this comparison when it's talking about in the voice of Jesus, when it's talking about Christ himself, and it says, he will shatter the clay pots like a rod of iron. Y'all remember when we talked through this, I had Cody come up here, I think it was Cody, and uh, we had, I had a clay pot and a, and a rod of iron, a piece of iron, a stick of iron. And I ask you between the two, who thinks the clay stands a chance when you bang them together? Who thinks? Nobody's going to bet on the clay. Nobody. And yet the nations think we're all, we think we're all that. You know, there's all this turmoil going on in our world today. And I mean, there's just tons of crazy stuff. And I know a bunch of prophecy people are trying to figure out where all this movement of nations around. And, you know, North Korea is beating their drums. And, and there's all this stuff happening in, you know, Syria and Israel and and Iran and all this stuff's going on and everybody's going, oh no, oh no, no. Listen. The one in heaven, the one in heaven who laughs when nations bow up at him, he's not going, oh no, oh no, no. He's totally at rest. He's totally at rest. And he never will not be at rest because he is large and in charge. He is a sovereign enthroned God. It's not going to show up on your uh, screens, but I'd love for you if you have your Bibles. Turn to Isaiah 40 and just underline a couple things to, to let you understand. <laughs> you can be encouraged because God's got this. He is in charge of everything. Isaiah 40 says this, verse 6. I'm going to read that. This is a new uh, NIV. I think I wrote down on my notes here. Uh, Isaiah 40, verse 6. All men are like grass. And their glory is like the flowers of the field. You guys know what the point of that God saying that is, right? Grass and flowers don't last but a season, ever. You know, they die out. We plant grass every year up at the deer farm. Turns out real pretty green. Then the sun comes up. Summer gets here and all that pretty green winter grass goes 
Those are mine. Done. We're done. Got to cut it. Run it under and try again. So God says, all men are like grass. Grass withers, verse 7. The flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. I love this text. Look at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? So God, God, very God, enthroned in heaven, can measure the water on earth, on earth, there's three, four, four, by the way. He can put it in the hollow of his hand. You ever just put a little water in your hand, trying to make it taste like You can do that with the earth's water supply. He can measure it in the hollow of his hand. Or with the breadth of his hand, marks off the heavens. He can, he can measure universes like this. can measure universes like that. Who do you know can do that? Nobody. You know, we can't we have to make up big giant numbers and, you know, light years and multiply by exponential things and put, you know, times 10 to the 700th or whatever to make it say that's how far that is. God just goes, eh, about that far. About that far. That's it. So he can measure the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on scales and the hills in a balance. Put all the mountains on a scale. And God just goes, eh, see, it weighs about, uh, about that much. Mountains. He weighs mountains on scales. Who has understood this great? Who understands the mind of the Lord? Or who has instructed him? Who's his counselor? Who counsels God? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody helped him understand anything. He is the understanding. Whom, verse 14, whom did the Lord consult with to enlighten him? Or who has taught him the right way? Who is Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the paths of understanding? Surely the nations, all this in reference to the fact that mankind is very small compared to God. All this, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. You think Isaiah's figured this large and in charge concept out? And he's large and in charge. And Isaiah knows it. he's like, man, the whole every island is like dust to him. He can weigh all the earth, he can put all the water of the earth in his hand. He can measure universes like this. He's very, very, very large and very much in charge and nobody gets to tell him how to do anything he's the one that came up with it all Isaiah 66 in your notes Isaiah 66 verse 1 and 2 thus says the Lord heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool what is the house that you would build for me all the Israelites want to have God, God to have a place to rest what is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hands have made so that all these things came to be, declares the Lord, by me. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God says, I'm large and in charge. I'm looking for people that understand. I'm in charge and I'm large. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm going to pay attention to. People with contrite hearts. People that look at God and say, I got this. My kids were growing up, there was a, a Disney movie where Robin Williams was a 
genie in a bottle. I remember the name of the movie. Somebody might know that. Aladdin. There you go. See, all, all the millennials love that movie, right? Yeah. You remember, remember at the end where he goes, you know, great big, great big God. Itty bitty, you know, living space. That's us. Great big God. Itty bitty stand. You know, great big God. Itty bitty stand. The whole book of Job, which is a complex book dealing with suffering. So it's a guy that's the most righteous, the most righteous who goes through the most suffering. You don't think those two are supposed to go together. In your head, the righteous guy gets a pass. In that book, the righteous guy is called out by God before Satan, the enemy, to test him and prove that he is righteous and he will be proven righteous. But in the middle of all that, Job is struggling, and rightfully so. His whole family dies except for his wife who suggested he curse God and die. Um, he's suffering with physical ailments. He's lost all his wealth. I mean, he's just been wiped out one tragedy after another. And at some point, he's sitting in an ash heap, scraping his boils. I recently had uh, shingles, which reminded me very much. I actually read that verse multiple times at night, trying not to scratch it. You know, like, oh, I'm very prepared. But here's Job sitting in an ash heap, scraping his boils with, with broken pottery. And he's crying out to God, what is happening here? And he, is, he wrestles with God through the book. He actually challenges God several times. It's not wrong to say to God, can you help me with this? Explain this to me. But after all the wrestling, we get to chapter 40, God says to Job, this is the Stan Gibbons translation, it's very loose, okay? but it's close. Job, I want you to stand up, put on your big blue pants, and let me explain why. That's Isaiah, that's Job chapter 40, I'll read for Job. Stand up, he actually says, gird up your loins, means pull up your pants. We're going to have a conversation, and when I'm done, God says this, when I'm done, I want you to answer me. And then God starts this whole concept of who God is. Job, can you make it lightning? Can you, can you make it thunder? Um, do, do you know the times and the seasons of the, of the mountain ranges? Can you do any of that? Job, Job can, do, you, do you know when the deer need to, to breed in order for them to have a healthy herd? Do you know any of that? Can I make a hippopotamus, Job? I can do all that. Can I do any of that? You know, Job's like, I just put my hand over my mouth. I'm done. I'm not talking. He goes, no, no, when I'm done, you're answering. God says it. Then he starts over again. A couple chapters later, God goes, Job, can you, can you, can you, can you? And it's all God's stuff. And here's what Job says in Job chapter 42. He says, God, Things that have happened to me. By the way, that's his trials, his great suffering. They're too wonderful for me to understand. You alone do it. You know what he says? Difficult things are too wonderful for me to understand. 
let's go over here and do my thing. It's going to be way more blessed if you do it that way. By the way, the context of Jeremiah 29, a lot of us don't, because we pull that one verse out of the whole deal, the context is Israel has been very bad. They've sinned, they're in rebellion, they've gotten in a lot of trouble, they've disobeyed, and they've done a lot of wrong things. And God says, hey, I'm going to let the prophet just speak a little encouragement to your name. You made a mess of things. I'm going to let the prophet speak some encouragement. I have plans for you. Plans are good for good, not disaster. You're living in a disaster because you rebelled and nations have come in and conquered you and torn down your temple and all kinds of bad stuff's happened. But I have plans for you to give you a future and a hope. And then Ephesians 2 verse 10, we looked at this several times in that last little mini-series we did. So just to drop it in as a highlight for you, we are God's masterpiece. His workmanship, one translation says. He has created us anew in Christ so we can do good things. He planned for us long ago. He planned for us to do good things. God's plans for you to have good deeds this week. Do you know that? He's going to put people in your way this week that you can show kindness to. Mercy. Help. He's going to put somebody in your life that you can be a minister to. Okay? Because we're all priests. We all have part of how we're supposed to be in growth groups is together is to enhance your priesthood. So your priestesses and priests. Hard to say the girl part. Your priestesses. You are. The Bible makes that crystal clear. I'll give you the verses on it at some point. You know? But we're supposed to live like that. We're supposed to live to good deeds. Right? So the one who's large and in charge, the one who is in love with you, he has plans for you and the plans for you to do good things on his behalf and it gives glory to him when that happens, which makes you the most satisfied person in the world. You don't want to be very satisfied in life? Very, very satisfied. Bring glory to God. Live your life. Figure out a way for your life to bring glory to God. Not to yourself, not to your family. You want to help your family and be a blessing to all of them. As fathers, as mothers, we want to be good to our families. And that brings glory to God when we do that. But you're not trying to bring glory to your family. Glory to yourself. You were created to give glory to you want your life to be meaningful and you really want to be satisfied in life. You're the most satisfied when you bring glory to God. He created you for that. And it'll work like a charm. So the one who's large and in charge, who's in love with you, who has a plan, he has a plan for your life. Um, he's all, none of that's ever going to change. So worst day ever, you can go, hey, God's still in charge. God's not panicked in heaven. He's still large and in charge. God loves me today, even though my life's a mess. Something bad happened. And God has a plan for all of this. For my very life today, He has a plan for you. Make sense? So, because God is an encourager to you, and encourages you with truths like that, you can be an encourager. So let me just give you a couple of verses on that. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Pastor Philip read this a few weeks ago, and rang my bell. I've studied this passage before. Something he did in it the other day just really tripped in my head a whole bunch of switches and just got my mind really into this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3. All praise to God, the Father our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of, say the next word for me, and the source of all comfort. All comfort. Man, mark that in your Bible. He's the source of all comfort. All comfort. 
He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. So God is the God of all comforts. That means there's nothing he cannot comfort you in during your hour or your month or your years of need. When you have needs that extend days, hours, days, weeks, months, years, you have needs that extend a long time. He's still the God of comforts and all. He comforts you in all your needs, all comforts in all your needs. He's the God of all comforts, comforts you in all your needs. And he comforts us in all our troubles so that, so that by design of God, when we're comforted by God, we can comfort others. So when he encourages us with truth, like we just went through three reasons to be encouraged, God loves you. You know, God's large and in charge. And, and God has a purpose and a plan. When you're encouraged by that, you're supposed to encourage other people with it. You're supposed to, by design, comfort other people. And the ultimate place he comforts us is at the cross. The cross was the ultimate place where he said, I'm going to settle all of the biggest problems you have right here when I die on the cross and pay for your sins, it's going to settle all of your biggest problems. They're going to be settled right here. And that's exactly what he did when he died on the cross. It means you can see everybody because of the cross. You can look at everybody in your world, your meanest boss, your weirdest friends, your quirky nephews, whoever it is. You can look at everybody through the potential of Christ in the cross and you can see everyone with God-given potential. Because the cross changes how everything works for everybody. How everything works for everybody when they surrender to the cross. So nobody is without the potential of God rescuing and helping and changing them. Hebrews 9.22 In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Question, was the blood of Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary for, listen to this word, was the blood of Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary for whosoever will may come? Did he shed his blood for whosoever will may come? Say yes or no. Yes, he did. So he shed his blood on the cross for whosoever will. Which means that whosoever in your life that drives you nuts, that whosoever that feels like it's hopeless or discouraging or whatever, we're never going to, oh my gosh. Whatever the circumstances is, it's making you feel like something's not working. That whosoever will person is under the potential of God's help. Because the, the cross is for everybody. And he's already shed his blood and paid for their sins. They have to surrender to it. But he's already paid for their sins and that can happen. So the cross means you can help. They're not lost in their sins and hopeless. We look at sinners sometimes and go, man, that's just hopeless. I've helped people that keep recycling themselves into their same mess. You help them, get them out, right back. Get them out, they are right back. You go, man, it's just hopeless. And that's a human emotion. It's just not the world of God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. So they're not sinners caught in some lost, hopeless loop. They are projects that God is calling out and that we're supposed to just be working on. The reason God put them in your life is so you just keep choosing away, keep choosing away. I'll tell you a, a story. 
uh, one of my friends in Birmingham years ago, um, in his uh, older uh, single life years, 20s, late 20s, mid 20s, he decided that uh, he was going to live a gay lifestyle, homosexual lifestyle. Now, he was very important in our church. He'd been a leader on my leadership teams, and a lot of things were just, it blew us all away when he came out just labeled that as himself and he's been, said he's been living a lie his whole life and since he was a child and he got caught up in all the rhetoric of all that and it's really how God's made him and all that stuff. And he just walked away from it all, shattered a bunch of us at church, made a big mess out of it and a lot of things happened but in the end um, he, he ended up confessing it to me and then his father later figured it out by himself. But his friend thought I told his father I vow discipline in you or we'll do this and whatever. And he thought I told his father, so he turned hard against me and became like a arch enemy for a while. And I mean he my tires were slashed a number of times while I was in the church parking lot late at night and had a number of uh, just vandalized things. He actually came into a couple of different weddings I did in Birmingham. I came back with a couple, but I went back to do weddings and he showed up there to make a scene in the wedding. So that was kind of fun. Had to be escorted out from that. It was just a big deal, right? It was a really messed up deal. And my heart bled for what was happening to him. But, you know, he's walked away in sin. He's not he's not surrendering himself um, to the will of the Lord. And so it was just tough. It was just tough. And part of me wanted to say, man, there's just no hope there. And eventually, uh, him and his boyfriend moved into an apartment uh, not far from here. Uh, another city, but not far from here. Long story short, you know, 10 years down the road, 11, 12 miserable years down the road, they called and said, we know who you called. Yeah, big public place. <laughs> you know, where I parked my car or somewhere very clearly, I can see it. And we met across the bay here. We stayed at the restaurant for about four hours one night. And he acknowledged that he'd been in sin and wrong that whole little journey. And he was messed up. And he just wanted to grow back in his faith. And he wanted me to disciple him. Really? Sounds like an idiot. Kind of did. <laughs> and we walked back through that relationship. We reconnected. I met with him once a week and eventually he left that lifestyle. By the way, he's a minister in a large church in Birmingham that works on recovery, works on recovery gave up. I mean, I was in my head, I was going to let him go. But I threw that one out. No matter who it is, God is large and in charge, and God says the cross means everybody has God-given potential, and they can surrender to the work of Christ in their life, and they're just a project. God's wanting to work through you. Colossians chapter 2. Look at this. You once were dead in your sins because you were sin because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. You once we're dead in your sins. We were dead in our sins. That means we can't help ourselves. Then God made us alive, for he forgave our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities. See, we get all worked up going, oh, it's just hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. It's never happen. That person's going to stay in that No. You're thinking like men think when you think those thoughts. We have, we have the potential... Every 
human being that's in the worst of sins has the potential of repenting and turning and changing. Just like that. Perhaps you can go to Holman Prison and go to the death row in on Monday nights and stay there for three hours with they let 15 prisoners in the little library with me and one other guy. And looking at guys that made horrible life choices and then turn their lives back over to Christ. And it changed everything. It changed everything. So we can see people. The cross means you can see everybody with God-given potential. Be an encourager to people. You're not stuck. Don't tell them you're not stuck in some mess. And God has the ability to break you out of all of this. Lastly, the cross means you can fix everyone, or you can forgive everyone who does wrong to you. This is a big one. The cross means you can forgive everybody. Everybody who's ever done wrong to you. I hear it a lot on counseling. Now, you don't know what that person did. Okay? Doesn't really matter. Because forgiveness is forgiveness. And I've heard the worst of the worst stuff. I don't know that I'll ever hear. Uh, much worse than I've already heard in my lifetime of really bad stuff. People who hurt you and abuse you in physical and sexual and emotional abuse. Uh, people who molested, people who people that hurt you, no matter what happened, God can forgive them and you can forgive them because you're free from the bondage of that weight of sin that happened to you. The cross says you can set yourself free from all of that. That's encouraging. It's encouraging all over the scripture sometimes. That's good news. I'm trying to give you good news today. Why do I look so heavy? I thought I'd give you happy news and y'all be smiles. So it is good news. God forgives us, so and we're supposed to forgive others through the cross. The cross makes it possible for you to forgive everybody just like you've been forgiven. No matter what they've done. No matter what they've done. And sometimes it takes us some time to work through that. And we need help. We need life groups and small groups and we need friends and counselors and spiritual leaders to help us walk through the steps to forgive. But you do not need to hold anybody's sin over their head on your behalf. That makes you God and we talked about this at the beginning of the whole study today. You're not that big. You're dust on a scale. God needs to be the one in charge of judgments and, and condemnations and, and wrath. Vengeance. He says, let that all be mine. You live in the glorious plan that I have for you because I love you. And I'm large and in charge and nobody can mess with my plan because you're in my hands. Nobody can mess with it. Make sense? Be encouraged today.